Sorry, right okay. hand side. None. Continue. Air. Sun. Seed. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, O Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Good stuff. To the very end. Let us prevail. Okay. July 6th. Talk about not having a childhood. In 1534, King Henry VIII of England made himself the head of the Church of England. His reason? He wanted to divorce his wife and remarry in hopes of having a male heir. Ultimately, he went through a series of six wives, resulting in but one surviving son. Edward, Henry's son, was born in 1537. Henry VIII did Edward a great favor by providing him with Protestant tutors and placing a Protestant majority on the Council of Regency, which would appoint a protector for Edward if he became king before adulthood. Henry VIII died when Edward was just nine, and he was crowned Edward VI. Although initially healthy as a youth, Edward suffered from congenital syphilis. Though young, Edward VI was a committed Christian. With Henry VIII's death, the English had buried an ogre and, a crown, and crowned a saint. The Council of Regency appointed the young king's Protestant uncle, Edward Seymour, soon to be made Duke of Somerset as regent for him, giving him the title uh, Protector of the Realm. Under Henry VIII, England had rejected papal authority but retained medieval dogma. Now the child king and protector Somerset set out to reform the Church of England. A statute uh, was issued ordering that all services be conducted in English and that communicants be offered both the bread and the cup. Purgatory and masses for the dead were repudiated. Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranmer, issued the first Book of Common Prayer in which the Protestant faith was stated with solemn beauty Cranmer was able to diplomatically transform the Mass into the Lord's Supper without creating a reaction. He submitted the book to Parliament, which ordered every church in England to adopt it. But complete religious freedom was yet to come. The resulting improvement in the religious climate caused the Protestants who had fled England under Henry VIII to come streaming back, bringing with them the doctrines of Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, and the Anabaptists. A new day had dawned in England. The English nobility was enraged by the Duke of Somerset's sympathy for the poor. Hmm. When the army had to put down a revolt of Roman Catholic peasants, Somerset was accused of having encouraged the uprising by his outspoken concern for the poor. He was arrested and imprisoned in the Tower of London. Somerset's responsibilities were taken over by John Dudley, the head of the Privy Council, whom King Edward made Duke of Northumberland, among the adventurers drawn to Edward, Northumberland proved to be both the ablest and the worst. A Roman Catholic at heart, he espoused the Protestant cause only because that was where power currently resided. In spite of Northumberland's corrupt and self-serving leadership, 
the Reformation accelerated in England. By 1553, England had abandoned most of what was distinctly medieval Catholicism. The prayer book was revised once more with very little left of the Mass and nothing of private confession. The Edwardian Reformation was noteworthy for its mildness. During his reign, two were executed for their speculations about the deity of Christ, but these exceptions, these were exceptions, not the rule. Edward then contracted tuberculosis in addition to his syphilis. Finally, on July 6, 1553, at the age of just 15, Edward was dying. Three hours before his death, thinking that he was alone in the room, he prayed, Lord God, deliver me out of this miserable and wretched life and take me among thy chosen. Howbeit not my will, but thine will be done. Lord, I commit my spirit to thee. O Lord, no, thou knowest how happy it were for me to be with thee. Yet for thy chosen sake, send me life and health that I may truly serve thee. O my Lord God, bless thy people and save thine inheritance. O Lord God, save thy chosen people of England. O my Lord God, defend this realm from papistry and maintain thy true religion that I and my people may praise thy holy name for thy son Jesus Christ's sake. For the Protestants of England, the reign of Edward VI was the high point of the 16th century. God may not have called you to earthly royalty, but where in your world do you think God wants you to make a difference? 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, you must do all for the glory of God. Sure. Yes. Uh, I just was listening to the, the uh, Reformation. Yep. And it said that his sister poisoned him and took over, and she was bloody married. Oh, is that right? This guy's sister? Yeah. Oh. Edward. Oh. Yeah. Holy mackerel. I didn't know that. Yeah. So she turned out to be just a, a zero. Oh, see, I did. I'm glad he, he to get that back to The what? He had quite a few problems there. Yeah, poor guy. Well, he's out of here, so he's well, with well, he's well, with the Lord, was, so. She took over, and she was... Oh, yeah, there. she was ter terrible. She was horrendous. Okay, I've got a couple prayer requests here. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, Rebecca Reno has left hip replacement tomorrow morning, 7 July. And she thanks you in advance for praying for her. Uh, she's a friend of mine. I've known her for years. What a wonderful person. So uh, keep her in prayer. Um, Nicholas is suffering loss after loss for years and is not sure he can hang on. Uh, he's kind of in a desperate state. And so please keep Nicholas in prayer. Um, Rachel, we prayed for her last week. She had melanoma. Her mother uh, is a friend of mine. And uh, they found out that she's they got it all. She's cancer-free. She's got a big divot in her left uh, thigh, I think, is where I maybe she said calf. I didn't write that down. But anyway, um, I told her just every time she looks at that, she can look at the Lord's mercy. So there you go. Uh, we're going to get better bodies in these someday. So all the, you know. Answer. Yeah. Um, okay. And she says thanks to all for prayer. Uh, Tom Alley had his knee surgery, finally. Uh, that was on the Monday. 5th. Was it Monday? Oh, it was Monday. Okay, that's right. And then the 4th of July, that's right. And then the 5th, um, I uh, heard from him. Okay. Uh, or I called him. What day is it? Today's the 6th. Today's Thursday. I'm way off on my time. Okay. Okay. I heard from, uh, he called and left a message, but I didn't know that because I didn't check my messages. And so I heard from John and uh, Don and Jody, and um, uh, they told me, and then I heard the message from 
Tom the next day and I called him. That's what it is. But Tom is doing a test fine. On this later? Yes. I, I'm just trying to get my thoughts straight so I can get the rest of the order of this week out because I'm all messed up now because we had a holiday, which I did not observe, but all of you did. So I'm off a day from all of you. Um, I was working all day just like I normally do. Um, Joan. Joan is doing okay. Who was it you talked to her? Was it you or Burke? Okay. Uh, no, you talked to her too. Who? Uh, uh, Jay Joan and Joan. Bruce. Joan Pruce. Jay and, Jay weren't you the one that said that Jay said that I'm still I ugly? He did not. That was you. Okay, Burke, Burke said that. Okay, so you visit her and Joan is doing okay. All right, that's right. I, we had two people show up about the same time, and so I'm a little off on that one as well. Okay, so we got uh, all these people to pray for, to thank the Lord for, etc. But uh, Nicholas and Rebecca Reno need prayer right now for tomorrow and for uh, Nicholas's uh, continued loss. Uh, then we have a couple of visitors that walked in. Um, they were actually at um, uh, my house yesterday buying mangoes, and uh, they uh, attend online. They've been attending online for quite a while. It's Robert and Angie, and they're from Missouri. And uh, it's funny. They, she emailed Rhoda to see, uh, we're coming to Sarasota. We'd like to meet up. And they said, well, we're going to Missouri. So they, they swapped. It is weird. They swapped. Okay, so anyway. And then just one more thing to announce, and then we'll go to Lord in Prayer. Um Adrian, who uh, was here last week, he's from um, uh, Arizona. He and his wife, Misaka, were here, and they did the most wonderful video of, of the church. He mentioned a lot of the people in the church, and uh, uh, anyway, um, if you want to watch that, you have to go to his personal uh, YouTube channel, which is Physical Graffiti Sarasota, uh, Sedona, Arizona physical graffiti Sedona Arizona and it's just a very he was very gracious about how he presented the church so anyway um, uh, there you go with that yes uh, Mike had surgery today yeah. on his hand Mike, he did yeah so I didn't he, know that yeah he yeah. had the uh, everything went well oh good okay so keep Mike green in prayer he had surgery what, on his hand and um, uh, so he's obviously going to have some recovery time like yeah, Tom Alley and others but, there. okay good I did not know that okay thank you for letting me know one more oh your son John that's that's my notes here when I don't look at things properly okay Burke's son John as well uh, we need to keep him in prayer he's uh, really struggling he's lost a lot of weight he's got his uh uh, he has to have fluid drained out of his stomach continuously. And uh, so uh, uh, I got something from Burke that was kind of distressing to me. And then the next day, Burke said, well, he doesn't have exactly this. It's something different. And so we're hoping that uh, it, it's... Anyway, just keep John in prayer. He yes. really needs prayer. Burke's son, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to come into your presence and to uh, just lift these people up to praise you for those that are through with things or that are getting better and we would continue pray for continued healing for each of them uh, we pray for all of the people that were just mentioned and uh, we just uh, lord we're we're coming to you with our hearts opened and our uh, hands uh, open to you uh, petitioning you for these people and for uh, just relief from some of the the trials that people are going through but we do thank you for those that have uh, already been tended to. And uh, Lord, we just leave all of these things in your capable hands, knowing that that is where they belong. We thank you, Lord. You're so good to us. We praise you. We ask you to uh, just bless this class. And if there's anything that is incorrectly stated, that you would just read it out and let us know so that we would not have improper doctrine. So we love you and we praise you. We thank you and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. So we got... Uh, 
let's see here. That's done. That's done. Okay, we can go to um, 1 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 5. Let me close this. All right. And we're in chapter 5, probably verse 5 or something. I don't know where we're at. Oh, verse 4. Okay, 5. Okay. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Four, but you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Okay, but brethren, you are not in darkness so that this day should not overtake you as a thief. That's the only real difference there. Okay, and uh, let's see here. That's verse 5, 4, so we'll get out the notes and see what... I typed all those years ago. Um, the words, but you, are given as a contrast to what has just been said in the previous verse. The world will say, peace and safety, and when there is actually only sudden destruction coming upon it. Okay, peace and safety, we talked about that last week. We have uh, no idea what is going to precipitate this, but we can speculate. You know, we can just say, well, it could be Gog and Magog. Israel completely wipes out the enemies. The enemies uh, around Israel sue for peace, knowing that they are now in the strongest position that they have ever been and since they were reestablished as a nation. And uh, it, it's just speculation. But um, they say, well, you know, one of the things that we want is we want to have a temple on the Temple Mount. We've got this group of people in Israel that's been insisting on it for years. The movement has grown, which it's growing every year with, among people, not all of them. A lot of people in Israel surprisingly don't want that. But um, uh, it is one of the things that will happen. And, you know, like I said, we can speculate all day what will precipitate the events that make that come about. And I think Gog Magog is a very good guess. It's going to be, it's not going to be something small, okay? It's not going to be some small insignificant thing that is going to cause the world to say, okay, you can build a temple there. Because normally all that would do would cause the most chaos that you could imagine, all right, the Muslims would be in an uproar, the uh, uh, Greek Orthodox and the, you know, the Roman Catholics and whoever else has got a, a piece of the pie in Israel will not want that. They're going to say, well, this is obviously something that is uh, going to be taken as Israel saying, see, this is prophecy fulfilled for us, okay? And uh, it, it will, the Christians that are left here will not, want that simply because it will be a mark against them because it will like i was trying to say but i'll come in a different way is that it will confirm that there is a purpose for israel from a biblical perspective and right now a lot of the church and i would say a large majority of the church thinks that israel is an aberration they have no connection to the bible they don't belong there uh prophetically even if they belong there because of you know trade uh acts and all that kind of stuff um, uh, that have happened over the past years, but they do not take any of this as a prophetic fulfillment, okay? And so that's going to put egg on their face, and so something major is going to have to happen to allow Israel to say, you know what, we've got this big area on the Temple Mount that is being unused, and we want to put a temple there and worship our God. Um, uh, it, the general, because of like the Left Behind series, which it's not the Bible, by the way, just so people know that. You don't take the Bible and say, oh, or left behind and say, well, this is going to happen because they said. And that's a real mistake that people make. They read things or they watch things, and they, they assume that that is what the Bible uh, actually teaches. 
and one of them is that the uh, Dome of the Rock is going to get destroyed, okay? It's, somehow it's going to come about. Um, there's no need for that. That may happen. It may be that the Dome of Rock is going to be destroyed, but there's a big empty piece of property right between the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. You could put the temple right in there, and that would be no harm at all to anything else. So, um, you know, just because you see something on the Left Behind series or you read somebody say, well, the Dome of the Rock has to be destroyed because it doesn't, okay? And uh, it is believed by several noted scholars that the Dome of the Rock is not where Abraham sacrificed his no. son and it is not where the temple was, okay? They say it is right in that empty area right now. And that would just be the way of the Lord, you know, that you've got this empty place that's just been sitting there for 2,000 years, and all of a sudden you can build a temple without doing any harm to anybody else. Uh, yeah, and so that is that is a good speculation. It's not certain. Everybody debates this, but it's just one of the speculations. Uh, it's where there's a little cupola that's called the well of the souls there. And these scholars believe that that is where the Holy of Holies was. Okay, you can look at it online and and uh, they got pictures of all of that. Anyway, um, so that's, that, that's just speculation, but somehow there is going to be a peace treaty. There is going to be a temple. They're actually going to be sacrificing there. How do we know that that is true? The Bible says so. We, we absolutely know it. And despite what the uh, Christian world in general thinks, despite what uh, the Muslims think, etc. And you know, this is one thing that if you go back and you read the Muslim writings, and uh, even to this day, some of the Muslim scholars openly admit it, okay? They're at least honest enough to admit it, that that was always until uh, Israel retook the uh, Temple Mount. It was always called the Temple Mount. They have a name in Arabic that meant the Mount of the Temple, in other words, for Jews, and they acknowledge that. It's just in very recent year, within the past 70 or 80 years, that they have come out and said there was never a Jewish presence there and, and denying all this stuff. But if you, you just go back and read the old writings, they call it that. I, what is it? It's, can't remember the name right now. It's not in my head. But um, uh, So that will all be a part of this. They'll say, you know what? This has been alive for the past 70 years. These people acknowledge it. These people have acknowledged it. And so we're going to build this temple, and that's it. It's going to happen because that will be a part of suing for peace in the world. And that's what will make the people say, peace and safety, okay? And that's what Paul is now saying, but you, okay? They're given as a contrast to what has been said in the previous verse. Okay, I understand that everybody's got an opinion on the Temple Mount. Okay, some people say it's not even the Temple Mount. There's another place in Israel, I'm sorry, in Jerusalem where the temple was. I've read all of that, okay? That's not what I'm here to speculate on. All I'm here to do is to teach what the Bible says about what is coming. Wherever the temple was, and it certainly was on the Temple Mount, we know that. We've got the writings of Josephus, etc. But uh, the problem is that people, they, they come to a conclusion and they say, I'm going to write a book. And then somebody reads a book and they say, I read it in a book. And so it must be true. Okay, and so for 2,000 years, it's been perfectly understood by everybody on the planet that the temple was on the Temple Mount. That's why it's called the Temple, temple Mount. Mount. And um, all of a sudden, somebody writes a book and says it's over here in the city of David. And I, here's my proof. And I, it, I, anybody can write a book about anything. It does not make it true. Okay, 
So you don't need to send me that. I, that's fine. I've read all of that before. That's not what I'm focusing on here. I'm focusing on what is coming. Okay, I've given speculation on the Temple Mount, possibilities here, possibilities there, but um, the book the guy wrote is incorrect. Anyway, we'll go on. Um, uh, when there is actually only sudden destruction. Peace and safety, sudden destruction. Okay, that's the contrast. For them, there will be no escape. This is because, as he has already said, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. This then sets up the contrast. You've got a contrast between the two. The night implies darkness. But for believers, they are, what does Paul say? They, they are light. They are not in darkness, okay? They are not in darkness. The night and the darkness are words which are not literally speaking of night, but of the spiritual Paul of immorality, ungodliness, false religion, and so on. Okay, everybody got that? I, you know, people will, I, I've read commentaries on the rapture, and somebody says, well, Isaac is, they, they go back to the King James Version because it's a little more poetic, and it says um, uh, she's coming, what's her name, Rebecca, on the camels, you know, being brought down to, and there's Isaac, and it's in the eventide, right? We, we don't use that word anymore, but it, it sounds nice. So the eventide, and she puts her veil over her face, and that proves that the rapture is going to happen in the evening. Well, that's great, but there are 24 evenings in the world because the world is, unless you're a flat earther, it's round, right? Okay, so evening where? And then, of course, they'll say, well, it has to be Jerusalem or it has to be this or it has to be Washington, D.C. because it's current, the Gentiles currently, everybody's got these crazy opinions. Okay, we'll go on. It just, that kind of stuff is maddening to read. And it, they do this constantly on these rapture websites. You know, if you're wasting your time on those, you're really wasting your time. Anyway, uh, uh, this is not speaking of a literal night. It's not speaking of a literal day. It's speaking of those things that I just mentioned a second ago. False religion, ungodliness, immorality, and all that kind of stuff. All right? Um, uh, okay, uh, yes, it's the tribulation period. Let me go back to word day is speaking of the day of the Lord of verse 2. Okay, it is the tribulation period. He then returns to the simile of the thief, as noted in a previous verse. Paul specifically states that the Antichrist will not, we've gone through this three weeks in a row, will not be revealed until the restrainer is taken out of the way. We are not going to know who the Antichrist is. Somebody sent me an email on the Antichrist this past week, and I sent it back, and I thanked him, and I said, you know, I... My eyes are fixed on Jesus. I'm not really interested in who the Antichrist is. But, you know, I, I skimmed through it very quickly to read it. And one of the things is that it, it's Macron. Uh, it, it, somebody else sent this to me, but it was Macron is the Antichrist, and here's why. And one of them is because he, uh, they, they gave a couple comparisons to 666, but one of them was that he won the popular vote by 66.06%. Well, you have to insert a zero in there, and if you round it up, it's 66.1. So, it, you know, this is the kind of thing that people spend their lives doing. They're wasting their life because, one, we're not going to know who Macra, who the Antichrist is, okay? And why would we even bother on that? So, if you think about it, we are not of the night. The day of the Lord is the day that he's speaking about here. If the day of the Lord is the tribulation period, then we are not going to be here during the tribulation period. And further, we're not going to know who the Antichrist is who has to be revealed before the tribulation period, right? Because he's the one that signs the peace deal. 
there there's a guy that's going to come out. He's going to be the guy that makes the peace deal possible. He's going to be the one where Israel gets the Temple Mount. They're going to start the sacrifices, Daniel 9, 24 through 27. All of this is really going to happen, okay? We are not going to be here for that. We're not. So why would you spend all of your time focusing on that, okay? We know, we know 100% from the timeline given in Scripture that the rapture is pre-tribulation. All of this other stuff is just information to show us that we're not going to be here for it. This is how Paul confirms that it's a pre-tribulation rapture. And he's got to do this because if he doesn't give this information, and if he's not explicit, people are going to get it wrong. And now the good thing is nobody will ever get it wrong. Ever. And yet they still get it wrong. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, day of the Lord, speaking of the day of the Lord in verse 2. All right. He then returns to the simile of the thief. As noted in a previous verse, Paul specifically states that the Antichrist will not be revealed until the restrainer is taken out of the way. As the Antichrist is the one to bring in the seven-year peace deal with Israel, then it is plainly obvious that the church will experience a pre, not mid, not post, tribulation rapture. To state otherwise sets up several open contradictions in Paul's eschatological timeline. Further, it then logically contradicts what is known from the book of Revelation. Okay, I'll say this again, just in case somebody's never watched this before, and, you know, they've clicked onto a video about 1 Thessalonians, and they've missed the other videos, is that the verses taken out of Matthew 24, or Luke, I think it's 21, 22, whatever. Anyway, the comparable verses in Luke, those verses, if they are put into an analysis of the rapture, you can take that analysis and you can put it in the garbage. Don't even bother with it because Jesus was not speaking to the church. He was speaking to the nation of Israel under the law, anticipating the fulfillment of the law. He fulfilled it. They did not accept that. And so there has to be a time when they will accept his fulfillment of the law on their behalf. And that is what the final seven years of the tribulation period are for, is for Israel to finally come under the new covenant to be brought out of that law, those seven years, into the new covenant, the Christ covenant, okay? So, uh, with that understood, no commentary that includes Matthew 24, no man shall know the day or the hour, any of that kind of stuff, or anything from Revelation 4 verse 2 to Revelation 19 verse 10 in a rapture talk, just throw it away. Just don't even bother with it because it's wrong on the surface. Okay, um, I've said to people about um, eschatology, which means eschaton, the uh, last things, so it's the, the study of last things, is that if you take the information in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are the synoptic gospels, and you base your prophetic timelining and your prophetic theology on that in relation to the church, you will not maybe, you will have contradictions in your theology. And not just that, you're also going to have it not just for prophecy, but you're going to have it from uh, other issues as well. The one that's so easy, I say it all the time, is that, um, um, oh, what is it, uh, where the guy, um, uh, where Jesus says, uh, um, uh, pray that you may be found worthy to stand before the Son of Man, to escape all these things and to stand before the Son of Man. If you think that applies to you, that means that you need to earn 
your standing before the Son of Man, which means that salvation is not grace. by grace through faith. It is a complete contradiction in thought. He is not speaking to the church in that. He's speaking to the Jews of Israel. He's not giving them the timeline. So they don't know that there's going to be 2,000 years from the time uh, that the temple is destroyed until the time that, uh, you know, or more, we're not there yet, and it's been 2,000 years, that the last seven years are going to come in. They are going to go through that tribulation period. We are not. But if you believe that that pertains to you, that means that you have to persevere through the tribulation period in order to be saved and stand before the Son of Man. And that means that your salvation was never, never of grace through faith. Everybody got that? If you, if you are saved by grace through faith and you can lose your salvation or if you have to merit it any time after that, this is Charlie Garrett gets saved right here. I live another 82 years, okay, which I don't want to, but I live another 82 years after I was saved, and if I have to do something right here in order to continue to be saved, it was never, never of grace through faith, never, okay? I hope you can understand that. Just think it through. If it is by grace through faith, then that means you are saved the moment that you believe, which is what the, the gospel says, the moment. And as a matter of fact, this morning I typed um, Acts 19.4, I think it was. And in there I gave, a, you know, just a compelling argument why there is nothing added to salvation. Nothing. Okay, that's in the life application section of that verse. And uh, uh, it, it, it's so clear what is happening in Acts 19. We'll read it really quickly because I see you're going to the Bible and you want to figure out what I'm talking about. So. I'm just going to read you the verses, and then we'll be there. It won't be long, but um, uh, we're still only posting way back in Acts 18, but I'm getting ahead in the uh, Acts commentaries. I try to do an extra one on days when I have time, but uh, in Acts 19, what, I'll just start right here. It's such a great passage. It, if you understand what is being said from Acts 19.1 through about um, 19.7, somewhere in that area, you will clear up so much bad theology that it is unbelievable. You talk about clearing, listen to this. Then it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, okay? So they just introduced, what, they mentioned Apollos in Acts 19.1. He's not mentioned again other than the epistles. So in Acts 18, it starts with Apollos back in um, verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, and it says what happened, okay? Uh, as a matter of fact, I could read it. I'll read it, and then why is Apollos mentioned in Acts 19.1? Why is he mentioned at all? Who cares unless he is the, the Lord is tying this account with this account, and he's showing you something. So I'll read you both of them. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he only knew the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. That's all you get from Apollos. A little bit. And then there is obviously a reason why that was inserted. How do you know that? 
because there were 10 billion people, and I, that was a little bit of an exaggeration, but there were all kinds of people that were disciples that had theological errors, just like that, in the early church. And none of them are mentioned. He doesn't talk about anything that, you know, Thaddeus did or any of the other apostles. It pretty much focuses on Peter and Paul. But you get this little thing about Apollos. Why would the Lord do that? Because he is showing you a contrast between this and Acts 19. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth. He just went to Achaia. There is in Corinth, okay, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. This is what I typed this morning. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, Christ Jesus. Okay? There's a contrast being made. If you look at it, you can see that salvation is by grace through faith, and there is nothing that can be added to it. Anyway, uh, you go down to verse 7, and uh, uh, or even maybe a little more. Yeah, 7 is where it would end, that little bit of thing. But why would the Lord do that unless he's trying to tell you about the work of the Lord? And uh, one of the things, I think I said it in yesterday or two-day-ago commentary, is that there are different things going on in Acts. And if you can remember these words, they will help you understand what you are reading. He already knows what they are. What are, are they? Are is it descriptive, prescriptive, context, context, context? Okay. Is it descriptive? Does this simply describe what is happening? Okay. If it does, then we don't use it for doctrine. Acts is 99.9% descriptive. It doesn't prescribe anything. If it is prescriptive, that means you are being prescribed something. You are being told something that you are to remember and do. A prescriptive verse from Acts is found right at the beginning when Jesus tells them to go out and do certain things in Acts 1, 7, and 8. Other than that, there is very little in Acts that is prescriptive. And even if it is prescriptive at the time, the epistles will later qualify it. So it was prescriptive for the church during a certain period until Paul had written a letter to explain what was going on. And that happens as well from the Acts 15 council in Jerusalem. Okay, But the context then needs to be determined. What is the context? All right, is it prescriptive? Is it descriptive? What is the context? Okay, And then there's one more thing that you want to remember. Is this normative? And normative means... If something happens in Acts again and again and again, we are being shown a pattern that this is normative. It may not be required, it may be required, but it is normative in what is being presented. The Lord is trying to wake us up to something. In this account here, we have what is normative. They are talking about what issue in Apollos and Paul, specifically. What? No, 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 no. What? Baptism. Baptism. Okay. You will find out, if you read those and think on them, what is normative concerning baptism. And that is based on what? What establishes the requirement for baptism in the church? But what, what, what establishes it? You are to be baptized. What establishes it? Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go, therefore, did you say that? Oh, okay. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, but Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Lord tells us. Was that before, during the time of the law, or was that after, during the time of grace, that he said those words? No, no, no. After law. He is now resurrected. He is now resurrected. He has gone through and fulfilled the law. He gave a mandate to the church. Do this, okay? What is normative throughout Acts is that people are baptized. And you can get a lot of information out of those first four verses of Acts 19 concerning that issue. And even though it is normative to be baptized, it does not mean that baptism is what? It's not your salvation. It's, it's not, not grace, required it's, for it's your salvation. Yeah. That's right. It is obedience to the Lord. So you got to be careful to not say, well, you have to be baptized in order to be saved like the Church of Christ because that is insane, okay? But um, it's, it, the Bible does not teach that. At the same time, it is normative and it is also a command of the Lord. So if you are not baptized, and so here's my appeal to people right now. If you are not baptized according to the word of the Lord, since you have become a believer, you should be baptized because you are in a state of disobedience. It's like churches that never have the Lord's Supper. He instituted that on the night of his crucifixion saying, I am instituting the new covenant in my blood. It is anticipating the fact that he is, it happened before his crucifixion, but it had to. He had to anticipate what was coming. He couldn't do it afterward. And so he anticipated and said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Okay, so that is something that we are to do. Churches that do not do that are in a state of disobedience to the command of the Lord. Okay, these are things that we need to consider. And people that take the baptism like hyper-dispensationalists and say it does not apply to the church, it only applies to Jews, blah, blah, they're wrong. They have not properly divided the word of God. They have not taken into uh, account what the context says, what the Lord has commanded, and also what is normative within the book of Acts. And what anyway. they take out of context, Apollos is mentioned in it. Yeah, absolutely. In the beginning of Romans. That's right. Like, I know I Corinthians. Baptized, or Corinthians. Yeah, 1 Corinthians. Yeah. Yep, that's absolutely right. He's mentioned right there. Okay, so um, uh, I just told you further, it logically contradicts what is known in the book of Revelation. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Revelation in a rapture commentary. Other than referencing, you know, you can say, well, Revelation 4.2 through 19.10 is not referring to this. That's fine. That's, you have to say that in the commentary. But if they are using information from that and say, see, this beast has a broken toe at this point of the seven-year tribulation, and that proves that it's a mid-tribulation rapture, okay, you can throw that out because it has nothing to do with the rapture. Paul is the one that gave the rapture as an unveiled mystery. Remember that? He said, behold, I show you a mystery. So he is the one that now has revealed it to the church. He is the one that defines what the rapture is, and he is the one that explains the timeline of the rapture. You don't need to go anywhere else to get your rapture information. Anywhere, because Paul is the one that has revealed that. He is the apostle to the Gentiles during the Gentile-led church age. Paul sets those parameters. You can get rapture pictures from the Old Testament. They're all over there, okay? But that is not what sets the parameters for those things. That is something that you will find through study, okay? Paul very clearly and explicitly gives us information, all right? Okay, so the greater part of the tribulation saints 
will certainly and logically come from the first half of the tribulation period. We can know this. Maybe they will be converted and believe because of the rapture, or maybe Hal Lindsey thinks that it's 144,000 who are sealed and testify to what will happen, okay? Like, I think it was Hal Lindsey. He said, you know, they're going to be like uh, uh, 144,000 Billy Grahams running around telling the world that, you know, and that may be the case. It may not be. They may have a completely different purpose, whatever. But these people are going to know. It. So, the great delusion that we've already talked about and that we will talk about again in 2 Thessalonians 2, the great delusion does not mean that everybody will be deluded. It also does not mean that if somebody has heard the gospel before the rapture and he doesn't accept Jesus, that he can never be saved because there is that teaching out there, which is, you know, as crazy as a football bat, but people teach that. Okay, the grace of God has no limit. It has no end except the death of the person. Other than that, there is no end to the grace of God. If somebody doesn't accept the Lord during this life and the rapture happens, he will be given the chance to be saved, okay? That is what it is, okay? For whatever reason, these people will refuse the mark of the beast, okay? The great delusion is going to be just a global... You know what? You could say right now that the world is under a great delusion, okay? Not the one that the Bible is speaking about. But we've got a great delusion about the climate. We've got a great delusion about certain uh, chemicals that have been pumped into people's bodies over the past couple of years. We've got delusions that are just, and this is going to be the same type of thing. It's just going to be more invasive and pervasive. Okay. Yeah, we're getting warmed up for that. But that does not mean how many people said, I am not believing in what they're teaching about evolution. All right. Talk about great delusion. This has been going on for eons. Okay. I don't believe it. I used to believe it. That's what I was taught at Riverview High School right down the road. Okay. I, I accept it because they are the authorities. They're the ones that must know. I'm, I'm a kid. This is a guy that's obviously gone to school. He's teaching me. And you believe these things. Okay. And so, but people are under that delusion. They're under all kinds of delusions in the world. So we don't need to guess, is it something that's going to happen? And last week, I think it was, I gave the example that the Pope and I, I think I was emphatic about this, I, I'm pretty certain the guy is not going out at the rapture. And when he's still here, that's part of the great delusion, right? I mean, See? I'm the Pope. Yeah, yeah. Th that didn't happen. This is something completely and entirely different, okay? You got all of these great theologians and seminaries that know the Bible but have no heart for Jesus, and they're all going to be sitting here saying, I'm the one who should be going. I'm the one who's been studying the Bible all my life, forgetting that he never accepted the payment that Christ offered on his behalf, okay? The, the world's going to be full of these people, okay? There are all kinds of people that are in religious, and I'm talking about Christian religious circles right now, that are not going to be taken. Well, that's a simple way of getting rid of people being convinced that there really must have been a rapture. We're not gone. We are the church. We're the ones that have led things all along. Those people got taken out by aliens or they got taken out by Nephilim or something, whatever you believe, okay? It's not going to be hard to do. All right, it would make no sense to have to face the choice of taking the mark when one is already saved. Everybody got that? If you have to t make a choice between taking the mark and not taking the mark and you're saved, then that causes a problem with theology. It causes a giant problem with salvation by grace through faith. As a matter of fact, it would be an irreconcilable problem. Irreconcilable. 
If you believe in a mid-tribulation rapture, your doctrine on salvation by grace through faith is irreconcilable. Okay, I'm sorry for you if you believe it. If you believe that you have to persevere in the tribulation period, you have been lied to. You have not done your due diligence in the word and you've listened to people that have also not thought this issue through, okay? I, I, I'm, just, I'm not saying that I know all the answers, but I know what the Bible says and the Bible is very clear with this timeline, okay? It's very clear, okay? It would make no sense, I'll read it again, to have to face the choice of taking the mark when one is already saved, which would be the case if a mid or post-tribulation rapture were true. It would be like saying, you now have to work to be saved. That is not salvation by grace through faith. And as I said, it doesn't matter at what point, from the moment that you're saved until the moment that you die, it doesn't matter at what point you have to do something in order to keep your salvation. Your salvation was up to you, not up to the Lord who saved you. Okay, everybody got that? It is Jesus that the Bible is focused on. His glory, his work, his honor, his reputation, his covenant faithfulness. Jesus, you are an afterthought in that. And when I say that, God doesn't think anything after. He thinks everything immediately, intuitively. I'm talking about you're an afterthought in the plan as it's laid out, okay? This is Christ. You come along afterward, and he will ensure that what he has done will be performed to the end. No doubt about it, okay? Uh, that is not grace at all. There's no grace in the thought that you must do something in order to keep your salvation, including taking the mark of the beast. The world will already be set up where nobody is able to buy or sell. Man, we're right there. <laughs> we are so close to this. It is unbelievable how you can, you know, I'm going to tell you what. We sell mango. Did you sell any mangoes today? Good. Okay. We didn't sell any by the time I left at 12 and I thought Hidika was, she loves to talk to these people and I do too. You meet the nicest people. Anyway, um, we're at the point where Charlie Garrett has a little mango stand every year. And, you know, we bring, did you bring any? You didn't probably, I, I picked some, they're probably all sold. Okay. Um, Sunday, if there are any left, we'll bring them in because there's not many left. But um, we uh, uh, have mangoes at the house. Okay, I take them to the lady at the bank and the lady at the nail salon. I take care of on the key and, you know, just handing them out, bring them to church and uh, whatever. But we also have more than we could ever eat in a million years, even with Hedico completely jamming the refrigerator and the freezer and everything else full of mango. Okay, um, and she pickles them so they'll last forever, uh, but they won't because we eat them really quickly. But um, the point I'm making is that people come and buy mangoes. All right. And one of the things that they now do is they walk up and they say, we want to buy mangoes. What's your email address? And they put it in and they go, boop, boop, boop. And before I get inside, the money that they bought mangoes with is already in the bank account. We're that far along. A little mango stand on Siesta Key. Mm -hmm. And they're putting money into it. It's not a lot. It's like $10, okay? But the point, and I wouldn't know if they actually pushed that button or not. I'm not going to go check. The next day I said, Hiko, did you sell some mangoes? And it's like, yes, I sold $10 to a very nice couple and they paid by your email address. So whatever. Um, but this is how far along we are in what I just said here, that you can buy mangoes at a person's house without giving any money at all. I mean, a tangible, real money. Okay. It, unbelievable. All right. And we need to make sure it's not much, but we're going to add that onto our taxes. 
because I ain't having anybody say you got $37.82 that you didn't claim. You remember that, okay? That's something I, I, I just am adamant about this is that we need next year to say we sold mangoes because whatever. Um, okay, um, uh, let's see here. Make no sense. Okay, so yeah, buy or sell. Nobody can buy or sell except mangoes. All right, only in the second half uh, will the truly greater part of the devastation take place. In the first half of the tribulation, the peace deal has been made. The second half is where things devolve. Okay, Paul will speak about that in 2 Thessalonians 2. Okay, if one thinks it through logically, it is not at the second half of the tribulation, but during the first half that the tribulation saints will refuse to join the world system, which has been realized. The system is in place. Okay, even if they say the mark of the beast doesn't happen until the, uh, the second half of the tribulation period, the system is already in place. These people have already said we're not going to participate in. Seven years, folks. Okay, so the words of Revelation state that there is a great multitude who will come out of the great tribulation. That is not speaking of the past 2,000 years. That is not speaking about... Uh, since 1948 or any other thing that people could conjure up that is speaking about the great tribulation okay those who endure the events of the second half of the tribulation period will for the most part be those who have taken the mark of the beast some who have not done so will survive through the entire period and enter the millennium but logically they will be in the minority Everybody see that? If you've taken the mark of the beast and you're going to survive because nobody's trying to kill you, you're a part of the system. Jesus will deal with them later, okay? Now, a lot of them will die as well. But we know that some people will make it through even that don't have the mark of the beast, okay? They're going to be there when Jesus returns. But you've got all these other people that did not take the mark of the beast that have come out of the tri great tribulation, and guess what? They will be resurrected before the millennium. That is what the Bible teaches. They will be a part of the, the what? First resurrection. It's not the rapture. It's called the first resurrection. So these people that were not willing to enter into the end times apostasy, take the mark of the beast and all of that, and they die for their faith, will be raised at the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who, let me read it to you, he will have no part in the second death. I'll just read it and we'll... Uh, I think it's 19-something. It's going to take a second for me to uh, find this. But uh, Beast was captured, chucked him into the lake of fire. Let's see, the rest were killed. Um, uh, okay, uh, let's see here. A little while. Okay, uh, 4, 24. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. This is not people in the church age. This is people in the tribulation period who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived, they're brought up to live and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has a part in the first resurrection over such, meaning these people that were raised, that were martyred during the tribulation period. They're raised. It said, they shall be priests. Oh, I'm sorry. Is he who has part in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power. 
but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. That doesn't mean that's all they're going to live. That just is speaking about what they will be doing during the millennial. They will be raised and they will reign with Christ for a thousand years. Okay. Revelation 20, verse, starting in verse 4. Okay, so that is the first resurrection, but that is not the rapture. The rapture is something that is reserved for the church age. The church age is when the people, since Christ's crucifixion, that have believed in Christ, all of those people up until the last person to believe will be raptured, either from death or from this life immediately. That is what that is speaking about. The second uh, thing to happen will be at the end of the tribulation period, the first resurrection, the people that will reign on earth with Christ for a thousand years. And then you've got the general resurrection at the end of the thousand years when all the souls are judged and you know all that. The great white throne where we get to see people chucked into the lake of fire. Okay. Um, uh, I was just in the back cleaning today and I saw Biden's photo in the back room, if you know where I'm talking about. And uh, I was thinking, uh, he doesn't have a lot of time to meet the Lord. I was thinking, you know what? He better do it soon. Because if not, he's going to be right in the lake of fire. And if he doesn't make an open profession for Christ soon and he kicks the bucket, I know what I'm going to post on Twitter. Anyway, um, I've already got the photo for it. Um, anyway, we'll see. Um, uh, they'll be the minority that uh, live through the tribulation period. The people that did not take the, the mark, but make it through. There'll be a very minority. Finally, Paul's words of this verse are that we are not of darkness. That's his words. They cannot be used to justify that we are able to pinpoint the day of the rapture. Because people love to pinpoint the day of the rapture, and they'll say, these words can prove it. Okay, So I made my little qualifying statement. This is not saying that we are going to be enlightened to these things. Rather, it is speaking of our spiritual state, not an ability to divine what the Lord has already told us is something we are not going to know. Okay, got that? Because people will say, well, we're not of the darkness. That means that we can tell when the rapture is. And so I'm going to start predicting the rapture every 18 minutes. And when it doesn't happen, I'm just going to predict it for another 18 minutes down the line. And people will send me money the entire time I'm doing this. <laughs> okay insane. Don't get caught up in that kind of stuff. Life application. Believers have a surety, which is wonderful. The world is going to go through seven years of immense suffering, all of which will come about after the signing of a peace deal between Israel and her enemies. Notice the hand, right hand Israel, left hand enemies. But this will not occur until after the rapture of the church. To go through half or all of that time of suffering would mean that we would have to earn our salvation, something which no other generation of believers has had to do. So, to be fair about it, the Lord should raise all of the people that have died for the past 2,000 years and say, okay, these people that are alive right now, the, the, the covenant has been signed between the Antichrist and Israel, you have to prove yourself as well. That's logically what should happen. Because these people, they got a free ticket that we didn't get. We've got to earn our salvation. It's not the church age. I'm sorry. That's crazy thinking. Okay? Um, we would have to then earn our salvation, something which no other generation of believers has had to do. It would negate the grace which we have been bestowed. Grace is grace. It is not going through the tribulation period. Hold fast to the surety that we are not destined for wrath, but for salvation from this terrible time which lies ahead of us. 
Okay, um, I'll read you this just so you can get it. Just so that you can get it. This is not Thessalonians, by the way. I'm going to take you to the book of Ephesians. All right. And I'm going to go first to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to take you to verse 8, which Burke could yell at right now, but I'm going to preempt him. For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you have been saved through faith. Go back and read what I just said about Acts 19, 1 through 4. Read it again. You are saved by grace through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it is the, anybody? Gift of God. It is not of works, lest anyone should boast. Okay, got that? Remember what I said. If I can lose my salvation any point from the day that I was saved until even 82 years later, then it was never of grace through faith. Ever. I had to perform. I had to do it. Okay? And I'll take you now to Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom having not taken the mark of the beast, no, it doesn't say that, after having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory, not yours. If you have to earn your way through the tribulation period in part or in whole, there is no glory for God in that. You have done the work. Everybody got that? I feel so bad for people that are caught up in this crazy thinking that we are going to have to prove our salvation. Okay, I understand that there are, we've got books of the martyrs all over here. Uh, Karen out in Washington always sends us these things, okay? But I will tell you that there are people that prove their salvation all the time. They don't have to, but they prove their salvation by being martyred for their faith, by not doing things that a government tells them that they have to do. But that is not earning their salvation. Their salvation was earned, as Paul just said, by grace, through faith, that when you believed. They were sealed with the Holy Spirit, and they had to do no thing, nothing, in order to receive that, except believe. Okay? I've always noticed that those that believe that I can lose my salvation are never concerned about them losing their yeah absolutely oh yeah you can lose your salvation you? oh no, no, no i'm not no, gonna no. lose my I'm salvation saved. yeah like, okay yeah so gotcha. you know what that attitude is that attitude is i i'm good enough I, i'm performing <laughs> enough right. and jesus isn't doing anything right, right. They, they are in control there that's all that attitude is that's a good point that's all that attitude is yeah lest anyone should boast which is exactly they what they're doing, doing. <laughs> okay so we're in verse five Five. Here we go. Uh, you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Okay, first sentence is identical. The second section, we are not of the night nor of darkness. Okay, there you go. So not much different. They say the same thing. Okay, so um, let's see here. Five, five. In verse two, you know, I hate these autocorrect things because when you type the words in and verse, it puts them together and says inverse. And I'm like, would you stop that? Okay, in verse 2, Paul said that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. In verse 4, he said that believers are not in darkness. We just went through that concerning the coming of this predetermined day. We can know that this day is coming. Okay, we know it is because Paul said it. And Paul is inspired by God 
and because of that, we know that what he says is true. We can know this. Now, to bolster that, not the day, not the exact day, like rapture predictors were saying, which I just said a minute ago, want to qualify that, we can know that this day is coming, not what day it is, okay? Jesus said we're not going to know. Paul repeats that. We are definitely not going to know. Now, to bolster that, he says, you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. The words are written to all believers at Thessalonica and thus inclusive of all believers in Christ at all times and in all places. Why? Because that Bible was written for you and for you and for you and for the people that were alive 100 years ago, the people that will be alive in 100 years if the Lord hasn't returned, okay? Those words are for the church age. Anybody during the church age, from the time of Christ's resurrection all the way through, or actually we should say from the time of Paul's writing it, it's a truth that applied to them, but they didn't know about it. But when Paul revealed this, it is something that we can know. From the time that Paul wrote it out, anybody that receives and reads Paul's letters can know this. Okay, now, I understand there is a problem with uh, somebody in uh, Thailand. Okay, he's based out of Chiang Mai. And he goes out into the jungle and he tells people about Jesus. And they accept the message and they believe. They are saved people, folks. That's the end of that. If they have believed the message, it was properly presented, those people are saved. But eh, the whole village is converted and the guy dies. And he never gets them a Bible. They're never going to know this. You don't need to know these things to be saved, okay? That is not something that we have to do. And people will constantly take... We have in this church, this teeny little church right now, probably 45 Bibles, okay? I don't know. They're all over the place. You're back there. There's some in the back room. So we, we probably have 45 Bibles, maybe a few less, but somewhere around there. Okay. Now, out of those Bibles, we probably have seven or eight different versions, okay? And not only that, we've got updated revisions of versions. So we've got all these different Bibles, and we've got all this information. We've got uh, right here, I have access to hundreds of Bibles. I've got access to the original uh, texts in the Greek, okay, from the Alexandrian and from the Byzantine. I've got the uh, Masoretic text. I can read the Greek Septuagint. I've got all of this right now in my fingertips. And so what we do, and I see this happen all the time, is people take everything that they know and all of this information and they shove it into the church age. And they assume that everybody has to know what they know. And if they don't, then they're not good Christians or they're not even safe Christians. These people in that village in Thailand that have no internet at all, all they have is that they were told about Jesus. That's it. They are saved. We can't go imposing what we know about proper doctrine, about proper morality, or any other thing on those people. You can say, well, they're not saved because they're doing this. Did they know to not do that? Were they ever told? They were given the gospel and the guy died. They had no idea that this or this or this is prohibited for them to do. They were saved by grace through faith. And that goes right back to the pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation thing. They take what they think they know and they shove it into here and it is incorrect. Everybody see that? This is a problem. Don't do that. There are people all over the world that do not possess this. The, in Pakistan, thankfully, that guy gives them MP3s. He gives them copies of the Bible. But a lot of them probably don't get them, okay? He may go and tell a whole village, and five of them will say something, and two are very shy, and they don't say anything, and they go back, and they love Jesus for the rest of their life, okay? They never got a Bible. 
they're living their lives as they know best to do, but they don't know the things that this says do or don't do or whatever. And then somebody comes along and shoves all of that into them and says, well, they can't be saved because they were saved at the same meeting as the guys that got the MP3 Bible. The only difference is they are now getting doctrine and these people aren't. Okay, pay attention to what's going on in the world and don't take your circumstances and shove them into the rest of the world. We are so blessed with the amount of information that we are given. I, I, it is so wonderful to know that we can search out the Bible and we can find these patterns and these things that bolster our faith and give us confidence, okay? But that's not the norm. That is not, for 99% of the world, that is not the norm. It's becoming it because everybody's getting the internet now and people are starting to study. But, you know, a lot of people don't have time to do what we do. We live in a society where we have plenty of free time. We can, you know, uh, go to the movies and we can, we can read the Bible. They're working. They go home and they're completely exhausted. They go to bed. And they don't have time for that kind of stuff. They're just trying to get food into their mouth and maybe into the mouth, mouths of their children. Okay, so be, be quick to understand grace. Be quick to understand grace and understand that anybody that is saved by grace is a saved person. Okay, all right, so um, I don't know what got me. Oh yeah, we're not in darkness, okay? Um, let's see here. Um, uh, go where, okay, now to bolster that, he says, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. Oh, that's where I was. This is inclusive of all believers in Christ at all times and in all places. There are no divisions. There are no exclusions. And that's what I'm talking about right there. There are no divisions. If you are saved, you are in Christ, and that is it. There's no exclusion. Grace is the hardest thing for people to actually believe and accept. Okay, I gave that at the beginning of the sermon one or two weeks ago, right? Uh, we, we say we believe in grace, and then our actions deny that we really believe that. Any and all who are in Christ are termed sons of light and sons of the day. Those people in that village in Thailand that heard the word on that one day four years ago and the guy died the next day are sons of light and sons of the day because of their faith in Jesus Christ. The word light is used to contrast the darkness of verse 4 that we just did. And the word day is used to contrast night of verse 2. The terms are Hebraisms, which mean belonging to, okay? A Hebraism means it's something that the Hebrew people say, like an idiom. We have idioms all the time, all right? As we belong to the light and to the day, our lives are open and evident to the Lord. We have confessed our need for Christ. The contrast is to those who have not. In order to show this, he then says, we are not of the night, nor of darkness. He's turning it around so you can get both aspects and get a full understanding of what he's saying. Okay? This is the world in general. Night and darkness. All people who have not come to Christ have concealed their need for him. They don't want to admit that they're sinners. Okay? They don't want to admit that they are offending a holy God. They've concealed that need. They reject it. They deny it. Now, the funny thing about Israel is Israel will tell you that when the temple is open again and they're doing sacrifices, that will be, we, we will be uh, appeasing God through these sacrifices, right? They'll acknowledge that. Well, what does that mean they are? It means they're sinners, okay? Even today, they don't have those things, but they have certain rituals that they say allows them to be forgiven by God. They've been doing this now for the past 2,000 years. 
okay? God loves us. We're the people of Israel. We are forgiven because of blah, blah, blah. And on the Day of Atonement, they go and they do all these things for atonement, which don't atone anything because the only way to have the atonement under the law would be to have a temple with the rites and, you know, things that they did there. Well, they don't have that, so they have to make stuff up, okay? Some of the sects of the, the uh, Jews, the, uh, I can't remember what it is, but they actually have a ritual every day, every year on the Day of Atonement where they take their children and they take a chicken, they cut off its head and they sprinkle the blood all over them, okay? Because they know that a blood sacrifice is necessary. They use a clean animal and that's what they do, okay? But by saying that we have an annual Day of Atonement, by saying that we, or by slaughtering an animal, whether it's a chicken or whatever, they are demonstrating they know that they are not right with God, okay? And by reinstituting the law and the temple sacrifices, they are acknowledging that openly. They're openly saying that we need to have this in order to be right with God, okay? And yet they deny when they say, I don't need Jesus, that that is true. They completely deny it. And that's the state of the whole world. I'm just saying the Jews because it's such an obvious thing. But when somebody says, I do not need Jesus as my atoning sacrifice, they are saying that I'm not a sinner in the presence of a holy God. That's what they're saying, okay? It's the world in general. Their walk is one of spiritual death rather than renewed life. Jesus is the only atoning sacrifice. A, logically, and that's coming up in a, uh, it might be this week's sermon, I think it might be this week's sermon, that we can know that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sins. The Bible says that, but you can logically deduce it right from the fact that they had the annual day of atonement. Because it was annual, it meant what? Every year. Every year they had to do it, which means that last year's did not atone for this year's sin. This year's will not atone for next year's sin. It's an ongoing thing. The blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin, okay? All they did was appease God because they were believing in what he had provided for them. But it was insufficient to actually do what it was set forth to do. It could not do it. The blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. And the high priest of Israel or his son, is going to actually say this in the book of Joshua. I, it, maybe it's this week, maybe it's next week, but it's coming up very soon. He's actually going to let you know that, that he understood that even at the time of Joshua, which is a rather incredible thing. That. What's that? Hebrews 9.22. Absolutely it does. Yeah, Hebrews 9.22 explicitly says it. But they could say, well, that's not true, and you know, but we can know it simply by thinking it through. The guy that wrote the book of Hebrews, I believe it's Paul, Okay, but he's inspired by the Lord anyway. So uh, the book of Hebrews is simply taking a logical argument based on what is going on under the law. This person understood the rights of the law. He understood what was going on, and he said, it's not possible. This was not something that was effectual for the forgiveness of their sins. They were, their sins were withheld from them by the grace of God until the coming of Christ. Well, guess what, folks? Christ has come. And because he has come, there is no atonement on this planet apart from him. Zero. Okay? Um, what Paul has done in these first verses of chapter 5 is move from the specific, such as the day of the Lord, to the general, such as sons of the day. The day of the Lord is that time which will expose all darkness and all wickedness. Paul speaks in this same general form in Romans 13. Let me take you there. 
Romans 13. Let's see here. Um, Romans 13, 9, 10, 11. Come on, Charlie. Keep turning. Keep turning. All right, and I'm going to take you to verse 11. And it says here, And do this, knowing the time that is high. I, I better read that again. And do this, knowing the time that it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. By saying that, that means that you can do what? You can make provision for the flesh and fulfill its lusts. That is something that you as a Christian can do. You're not supposed to do it, but you can do it. And he's saying, don't do it. Everybody see that? Some Rewards people say, and losses. yeah, that's right. People say, well, if you believe that you are saved and you cannot lose your salvation, then that speaks of license. You, you can do anything you want. And they try to get you into that trap and they try to tell you that. And that's not true because Paul says right here, don't do that. But you can do it. The implication every time you read something like this from Paul through all of his writings is that you are doing this, please stop it. Or if you fall, you need to get yourself back up. You will stumble, but not so, uh, so far as to fall. He uses the term stumble, meaning you're doing something wrong. Fall means that you are out of God's favor. You can stumble. You're not going to fall. He will keep you through this. Okay, but this is what the Lord and what the Bible teaches is that you can do these things. You're not supposed to do these things. And anybody that says that salvation by grace through faith is eternal, is teaching license, is not thinking clearly. They're taking what you believe, which is correct, and they're twisting it so that you will conform to what they incorrectly believe, that you can lose your salvation because they want you in bondage. You're not in bondage, but you are not free to do what is wrong, and you will be judged for it at the Bema Seat of Christ. As Jim said, rewards and losses. So everything has to be taken in its proper context. Yes, you can do these things. No, you cannot do those things. If you get the, the intonation of the voice, okay, you are not supposed to do these things, all right? But he's talking about being in the light. And you could tell by Paul's words, the day is far spent. The time is closer than it was when we first believed. You could tell that he really believed that he was probably going to see the rapture. Okay? You can just get it. You can get it from what he says to Timothy. You, you can see that he's almost thinking that it's not going to be a long time and the kingdom's going to be set up. And that was kept from Paul. It was kept from all of them. If Paul didn't know when the Lord was coming... Do you think that the Lord is going to tell you? Well, maybe Ron. Okay, maybe Ron. It's not going to happen. It's been 2,000 years, and Paul had no idea about that. I'll let you know, Charlie, when I get the word. When you get the word, you let me know. I want to be the first one to announce it live, okay? On the way up. On, yeah. <laughs> On the way up. I knew it. Okay. All right. That, that was very good. Very good. Okay, so um, there you go. Romans 13, 11 through 14 as well. Okay, so we got to go on. Uh, let's see here. we got 15 minutes. We'll get this done. As you can see, 
we are positionally already, Paul says it, we're already sons of the day and of the light. It's done. You are a son of the day. You are not of darkness. Okay? You're not of the night. These are things that you are. The tribulation period is a time of darkness. It is a time of night. If you are not this, and that is being presented as what it is, then you cannot be going through that. Or the Lord is not being faithful to what he covenanted with you. Okay? But we still have the choice, as seen in the Roman passage, to act in a manner contrary to that position. Okay? We do not want to do that. But we have the choice that we can do it. If I want to go out and I want to do something perverted tonight, I can do it. Nothing is going to stop me from doing it, and I'm not going to lose my salvation. But I will lose my rewards. I may get caught. I may end up in jail. Whatever. Okay? But that does not change your position in Christ. You are a son of the day. You are a son of the light. Okay? I'm not telling you to do that. That was an example. Okay? So I, I'm just trying to make a point. This is what the Bible teaches. It does not teach license. It teaches grace, but behave. Okay? This will be seen as the chapter continues to unfold as well. Because we have gone from darkness to light, we should live as if it is the case, not pursuing deeds of darkness and immorality. Okay? There are lots of preachers that have fallen and done things they should not have done. I've known some personally. Okay? They've gotten caught up in the things of the world, and they are as saved today as they were before. All right? I feel bad for people that are in that position. You know, you see people that do things. Uh, well, I won't talk about that. I saw something on mail online yesterday that was just, oh, it wasn't a pastor. It was just something that happened. And I thought, the poor guy, you know, things happen in life that you sometimes just cannot control. And for a Christian, it doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation. Mostly but everything. Well, that's true. <laughs> that, that is true. Okay, because we've gone from darkness to light, we should live as if it is the case, not pursuing deeds of darkness and immorality. Should we not do so, there will be a loss of rewards at the coming of the Lord. That is a given. Okay, we need to persevere. We need to press on. We need to live in a holy manner. We need to honor the Lord. We need to talk to the Lord, be faithful to the Lord, do things that are, uh, you know, pleasing to the Lord. All right, this is confirmed by the use of the preposition in, in verse 4. Believers are not in darkness. And then the use of the genitive form of the noun in verse 5. Believers are not of darkness. Being in speaks of the state one is in. We are in, what are we in right now? In Christ. In Christ. It says that so many times and in so many different contexts from Paul's hand. I don't know how people can miss that. You are in Christ. Don't do this thing. He is in Christ, but, okay, I'm, I that's just Charlie Garrett giving you examples. It doesn't actually say that probably. But 80 times. 80 times in Christ? Yeah. Okay, there you go, 80 times. So I, he says it again and again and again. You are in Christ. Christ cannot cut off his finger. He's not going to poke out his eye. The point that Paul makes in Timothy is that he will never deny himself. If you are in him, he will never deny you. Okay, he will remain faithless even when you, he will remain faithful even when you are faithless. It's very clear. Okay, being in speaks of the state one is in, whereas being of points to the nature and origin of the state. Believers can be in darkness while not being of darkness. Everybody got that? 
in the case of the day of the Lord, those at Thessalonica were neither in nor of. This is true with all who have been instructed in this particular doctrine. However, when we are not instructed in certain doctrines, we remain in darkness. Think of the people I was talking about in Thailand. They are in the Lord, but they are not in that particular doctrine that maybe you think is so important. They never were instructed on it. They can't know about it. It is impossible for them to do what you think they must be doing because they have not been instructed. They don't have this. They never had it, and they probably never will have it. That doesn't change their being in Christ, not one iota, despite your little pet peeves, okay? I'm talking about people that throw these things out because they're super theologians, and they absolutely know what they don't know, okay? So... In the case of the day of the Lord, those at Thessalonica are neither in nor of. It's true with all who have been instructed in this particular doctrine. Those people in Thailand have no idea that the Lord is going to return. They have no idea. All they know is that they were saved by Jesus, they're going to die someday, and they're going to be with God. That's all that they were told on that day. They weren't given any doc rapture doctrine. They weren't given any, uh, you know, uh, doctrine on uh, what the law of Moses entailed. They weren't given any of that. These things that we take for, for you know, granted, it's just common knowledge and we know all of this stuff. They don't know any of it. And they are just as saved as you are. Okay? That's something that's important because I have people all the time will say, well, I, one example I gave in a class and the lady just got went ballistic and I don't think she's ever forgiven me for it, but I was talking about, um, I've given this example a couple times in this class is that um, they go in We'll use the same people in Thailand. They go in, and these people are given the pure gospel, the correct gospel, they believe, and they're saved. They don't know anything. They got no Bible. They got nothing. Five years later, who moves in? The Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses. And they start teaching them that nonsense. Are those people going to lose their salvation? Absolutely not. That lady went ballistic. You're telling me that if they convert to Mormonism? I didn't say they converted to Mormonism. They are in Christ. You are taking your presuppositions and your supposed knowledge and you are saying something that the Bible does not teach. Those children will never be saved because now they're being taught something their parents didn't teach them. And for the next 200 years, they're all little Mormons running around in the, the jungles of Thailand, okay? But the people that were saved were saved. I'm sorry if people disagree with that, but God does not... Does not uh, violate his side of the covenant, and he will never do that. Yes. If one of those people who believed and were saved did convert, right, they're still saved. They're still saved because they don't know anything anyway. They didn't have the Bible that you're so filled up with. Remember this. This is the timeline. If you have to do something on this timeline, from the moment that you were saved until the moment you died, it was never of grace through faith. If you can remember this, then you will get rid of a lot of really bad theology that's hanging around in the world today. Because this is the kind of thing people get into their heads. I know the Bible, and so I know that if they do this, they will lose their salvation when they don't have the Bible. They don't have anything except the message they heard and they received with joy. Okay? When we are not instructed in certain doctrines, I said that I'll read one more time, we remain in darkness even though we have been brought out of darkness. They've been brought out, but they don't know the doctrines. They are part of Christ. This is a call and a challenge to read know and apply 
the word of God to our lives. Something those poor people could not do, something that we can and should do. Every day of our life, we should read the Bible. Every single day of the life, we should meditate on what we've heard. Every day of the life, we should be talking to the Lord and asking him to perfect us in him so that we will be pleasing to him. Those are things we should do. Not going to lose your salvation if you don't. Okay, well, maybe you will. But anyway, <laughs> life application, we're done. Just on time. You have been called into Christ's marvelous light. This came about by a free will decision to leave the life you once knew. Why would you want to go back to the life you realized you wanted to get away from? Right? Stand fast in Christ. Walk in the light and be a true son of the day. Now think about that. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that I'm doing things wrong. I need Jesus to save me. But I don't want to know what I was doing wrong. I just want to be saved. That is perverse thinking. It's something that can happen, though. People say, oh, you know, I, I heard that I'm not supposed to be stealing anymore. Well, I won't do that, but I don't want to know anything else about this, okay? Why would you want to be in the life that you need to be saved from? Why would you do that? But it, this is the perversity of human nature, and it's what we experience in our lives. So uh, persevere, learn the Bible, and learn to be holy. You know, uh, what is it? Uh, Leviticus 11.44, is that it? Be ye holy as I am holy. I know I deferred to the King James Version on that, but it gives the plural. Okay, all right. you all, be holy as I am holy. What? For I am holy. Oh, yeah, for I am holy. Like, he's holy. He wants us to emulate him. This is what he would ask of us. But those people in that jungle didn't have the chance to learn what that meant. And so all they can do is be thankful for the salvation they received. Remember these things. Heavenly Father, how good it is to know you and to know that your grace is un limited. We fail you. We are so corrupt in our being and in our nature, and yet you continue to save us despite ourselves because you first covenanted with us. You shed your blood. You hung on the cross, and you died, and you have saved us despite the wickedness that remains in us. But help us to follow you and to remove that from day to day until we are perfected on that wonderful day when we are brought into your presence. And by the way, Lord, May that day be soon. Amen. Amen. Oh, boy. Can't wait for it. Can't wait. All right. Let's back this and say goodbye to the folks right now, and then we'll back up and we'll wave to you. Uh, oh, boy. Let's see here. Uh, break, break, break. Uh, 